The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM, where we do try to stay a little on top of what's going on in the tech world. And um, it's a busy, busy, busy time at this time of the year. It's the Northern Hemisphere spring, and spring has sprung. April is approaching, and unfortunately, April for most of the world is a little bit holiday-ish. But still, there's a lot going on and a lot of technology advances. There's, interestingly, a lot of balance in the business. What's going on in many cases is the large corporate Tech companies are all retrenching, right-sizing, readapting to changing circumstance. And I mean, globally, there seems to be a little bit of a pullback from the madness. Or let's, I believe it's a little bounce from the sort of lost years of corona. But whatever that is, the simple fact is that technology has not stopped. And it's morphing in a huge and incredible way. And we're going to discuss that <clears throat> at length in the Tech Talk Cafe segment in about 10, 15 minutes. So don't move your dial or your internet browser or wherever you're listening to me from because we're going to talk all about the latest version of ChatGPT version 4 along with an interesting backlash around the dangers and benefits of AI and whether or not these companies developing AI should take a little pause and try to figure out the impact on humanity because there is an impact. It's big, it's coming, and it's everywhere. So tune in and listen to that because you never know when that sort of information is going to be useful to you. But before we get there, we revisiting something that I would imagine in the current circumstance in South Africa with everything that's going on shouldn't be top of mind, but it's an election year. Politics always plays a, a heavy hand in pretty much everything. And apparently, our dear government is now on about um, lowering the cost of data again. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole sort of history and aspect of the whole data must fall and what the story with data is, but Bashing large corporates, bashing profitable companies has become a little bit of a national sport in South Africa. It's sort of um, not done to make any money. It's certainly not done to run a really profitable business well because, you know, you have responsibilities. And it's always about what you can do for the people, which in, a, in and of itself is not a challenge. It's not a problem. I think it's a really that's what governments are all about. They're there to help the general society be healthy, wealthy, and well. So, you know, we're not arguing about that. But meddling in an industry that has actually done remarkably well over the last couple of decades, I mean, mobile communications and communications in general has transformed society, not only in South Africa, but globally, in ways that that people literally had no clue of as little as 10 years ago. So... With the government's concern around this whole cost to communicate, we got a bit of a challenge. There are a couple of sort of issues floating around that uh, we're all well aware of. One, there's a very erratic, unstable, and costly uh, power supply problem in South Africa right now. 
if you cannot rely on the basics, water, power, safety, security, and the transport infrastructure, you're living in challenging times. I'm going to leave it at that for now. But no question um, these are challenging times. And to now start talking about lowering the cost of voice and data in this current environment is certainly, I would believe, low down on the list of what things we should worry about. Uh, and quite honestly, there's been a lot of research. Recently, a lot of people have been looking into what happens to the mobile network when the power goes off. And it's very, very clear that all this load shedding is taking an enormous toll on the networks. The first toll is that they cannot keep their highly advanced 5G, even though they're more power efficient off or more uh, power able than the 4G and older networks up and running at the same sort of level as they have been in the past. And what is interesting, what they found is that the rolling blackouts in and of themselves are actually the problem because they move from area to area to area. So your area might not be load shedding. Your towers might be up and fully powered for the moment. But the backhaul where it connects into the greater network is down, running on backup, being overloaded in certain areas by the sheer demand of mobile because all the fixed stuff is down, that causes the backup or the problem. So you get full signal, no throughput. Many, many complaints about that. You're sitting there, you think you've got signal, Vodacom, MTN, doesn't matter which one, and all of a sudden, nothing. Comic calls, data stops working, and yet no particular visible reason. Simple, somewhere else there's load shedding, maybe one of the network nodes, it's down, you're getting no throughput, no connectivity, but local towers are reporting, wow, we're connected, everything is cool. On the other side, as the power goes down, even if the networks are able to keep the power in the, on the towers up, you'll find that the sheer amount of people moving from fixed fiber or any other form of connectivity to mobile jumps enormously. And the towers are not designed for such massive peaks. They were built at a time where the average usage was understood at a particular level. And even then, um, towers, radio waves are finite in terms of capacity. And so you start running into massive data problems. The amount of uh, sort of teams and voice and Zoom calls I've had, which have just been hopeless. You cannot hear the people. They had to switch video off. It's, it's a huge challenge. Now, you throw into that the demand from government when, people, when networks are spending money on diesel, backups, batteries being stolen, security, uh, you know, all this type of thing, to go and lower their costs, it's going to be a little bit of a minefield of, um, of, of how we're going to do this. And ultimately, there's just no question that the prices, there have already been some increases in costs coming through sneakily. Networks are downplaying it like mad. But simply put, uh, the costs are going to go up. We're all going to end up paying more. There is a, a, a bit of a rising inflation trend in South Africa. So there's no question that prices are going to go up, and it's going to be very, very difficult for the government to interfere in the competition or interfere in a regulatory way with the market forces without sorting out the basics. However, unfortunately, as I said, in election year, so expect more on this topic, expect to see more um, havoc surrounding it. But um, quite honestly, all I must say is that the, net, the networks are struggling to keep the networks up and running at full efficiency, just the same as the government's struggling to keep the electricity up and running at uh, sort of 
any efficiency. So the two are pretty much linked, and we're going to see a lot of change, a lot of happening in that space. But expect a lot of talk about um, competition and enabling the previously disadvantaged in this space and tr- somehow bringing down the cost of, of data and voice because the major networks are absolutely taking and ripping off the public in a, in, in a spectacular way. None of the above are true, unfortunately, and I believe that uh, they should stick to their basics. And, I mean, it's not a rant. It's just a, an observation that they need to get the basics right, and then we can worry about things like the cost of data, no matter how difficult it is for you today in these sort of inflationary and difficult times. Apparently, interest rates may go up today, which is not going to help any. So, overall, a pretty uncomfortable picture and um, interference with really well-run, efficient and generally well-priced by global standards, networks, um, is going to be a little bit of a challenge. But anyway, let's just move on to something more interesting because that's sort of tied to the same topic, but we'll have to, you know, have a quick break. But I'll talk a little bit about it later. Microsoft Teams, which we all use, has now been confirmed as one of the largest video conferencing or video collaboration or, you know, product that companies use and people use across the world. Has, is actually getting a massive revamp. If you want, um, you can, if your, if your, um, corporate operator allows you to, they've got to allow it on the back end. But if they do, there's a new version of Teams for Windows, which allows seamless switching, my biggest bugbear, between different companies. So if you have two different companies' emails and you want to work on two different teams, you used to have to log out, log back in, really messy. Now you just switch between profiles. You could do it on mobile. You couldn't do it on a desktop. You now can. And it uses a lot less memory, and it seems a lot slicker and a lot faster. So if you use Teams, speak to your your company tech team and tell them to give you the option to try the new Teams. I think you'll be impressed. So far, I've been using it since the 27th. That's when I launched this. And it's definitely superior to the previous version. Zoom are going to have to struggle. I can see there will be a lot of um, very interesting uh, discussions about which is better, Zoom or Teams. Teams has not got a great reputation because it can be a bit flaky. But generally, the new update seems to have fixed much of that, and it really is a is a good call from Microsoft. So hang in there, and let's see what, what the new Teams does. On that note, we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And I got a little carried away with all the nonsense going on with uh, Data Must Fall and didn't speak enough about what was going on with Teams. It's a big update. Try it if you can. Speak to your IT department. Ask them to give you the option to switch to the new Teams. I think most people will be quite impressed. And it also is going to start incorporating something that we're talking about now and um, I would try to get a, a guest in the studio. Unfortunately, have to pause that for a week or two because holidays are coming up and people are traveling. But the whole question of AI and this hot news of ChatGPT, I mentioned it in the show a couple of weeks ago that the latest version of ChatGPT4, GPT version 4 has been released. And so far, it is performing way beyond what anyone thought. It's passing the legal board exam in, uh, in, in America, barely, but it's passing. It is able to behave and, and to con- carry on like almost a real human being. And 
there has been an inevitable backlash. A lot of uh, top leaders have weighed in on on AI and the whole chat GPT revolution that's coming. Bill Gates wrote a very interesting blog. You can just do a, a Google search on that and find it. It's fascinating to hear what he has to say about you know, what, what the potential and the age of AI. But even more relevant, what has been going on is that uh, Elon Musk, along with a lot of other sort of key players or leading players in the tech business, have written a letter which essentially calls for a pause in the development of Jet, Chat GPT and the company creating, in fact, all companies creating AI tools on a similar level, to just step back and see what is going on in AI development. But now, geopolitically, there's a big challenge with that. You don't hear much about it because the Chinese ecosystem is pretty opaque to most of what goes on in the world. But I've been watching that fairly closely. And Baidu, which is the sort of Google of China, and all the services around it, Exist and have been and have been growing apace with Google and all the Western uh, technology platforms. And at the same time, their AI research and chat sort of GPT type research and and um, pr- platforms and products have been very very much me- uh, sort of mirroring what has been going on in the rest of the world. And again, not a lot of information available because my Chinese is a little awful and access to those platforms is blocked the same way as Google is blocked to us or to people in China, we really have no clear picture of what's going on with um, with Chinese development of AI. But they certainly don't seem to have any ethical issues or, or issues around the growth and the sort of development of AI. And strategically, that is a huge challenge because we – definitely have a certain geopolitical tension between the East and their aligned partners and the West and their aligned partners. And it looks like, without creating even more craziness in the world, that um, artificial intelligence or the, the rise of the technologies surrounding and the use of artificial technologies is becoming a bit of a defining factor of what is going on um, in the whole sort of story of um, AI. But just to to give you a little bit of background and whether we should or should not uh, hit a pause, before I get into the whole story of what's going on, I think it's actually best to just understand one viewpoint from a person that I believe <laughs> has an incredible insight into what's going on in technology, and that's Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, um, and he's not actually actively involved in it anymore, but <clears throat> I'm sure he has the finger on the technology pulse. He wrote an extensive opinion piece on his on his blog. As I said, it's called Gates Notes, and it's a personal blog. But he believes, and I'm very much aligned with his way of thinking, is that the sort of AI and AI built into everything will change the way we work, the way we learn, the way we travel, the way that we approach deal with and get healthcare, which is actually very fundamental. And to a lesser extent, but also um, for most part, um, 
another area that we're going to have to think about is how we communicate. Now, communication tends to be one-on-one, tends to be face-to-face, it can be video, it can be audio. There are a lot of ways to actually speak to each other. But when you start adding AI into it, you can land up speaking to people. So there are platforms already available right now, but there are a lot of platforms coming which will make um, language irrelevant. You will speak whatever language you speak. The other part, party on, on the call, both video and audio, will speak whatever language they speak, and both of you will hear a nuanced and correctly translated real-time translation of what is going on. So you can have a perfectly understandable communication up to fairly technical levels without any uh, knowledge of Chinese, French, German, Italian, whatever it is, language you want. And that in itself can be pretty revolutionary. I've played with a couple of those platforms up to now. Some of them have been good, but most of them have terrible built-in lag, depending on your internet connection. A lot of that translation doesn't happen locally. But with uh, platforms like ChatGPT, that's going to start happening on device, um, locally, and uh, (laughs) the results can be pretty spectacular. But what is happening is that there's a massive growth of entire industries around the whole capability and ability. And as I explained in in the various programs, a lot of people still seem to think that ChatGPT is a form of Google search, a form of Bing search. It's a type of search engine. And for the first and most important part, it is not a search engine. It is not a collection of links and data from around the web. As much as some form of intelligence and some form of context has been built into search over the last couple of years, search simply remains via Google an index of everything that's available on the web, the web and everything that's available to the, the platform that can go around the web, find a new website, go through it, understand what's there, and add it to its index like a library of information that you can access by asking questions. And the trick with Google search and all of these was always asking the right questions. So you could simply say, new washing machine uh, for a thousand rand, and it would give you all the relevant things that actually match that. It wouldn't give you a little bit more information. But the chat GPT and AI and all the advanced chat platforms are not search engines. Up to now, the older version of chat GPT-3 did not have access to the entire Internet. It used a certain train set of data to do certain train things within certain data sets and was pretty convincing in that space. It went off and did crazy stuff because it could write plausibly didn't really understand what it was writing, but it could write plausibly. The next generation of ChatGPT or GPT-4 has access to pretty much the entire database that you have through the Internet. It's also launched a beta or a test of apps that work with it. So booking apps, shopping apps, um, all sorts of sort of platforms and, and things that can do things, not just find things or search for things. So what's happened there is that the latest versions can actually build you an itinerary. But what ChatGPT is, is not a search engine, although that's becoming part of it. It's a knowledge engine. It's an ability engine. It can write code. It can write articles. It can give you a collection of data or summary of data that you may want to know in a, in a written, easy-to-manage form. It can give you advice based on tons of information built into the web. So the best way to promote my new business on LinkedIn 
would then trawl the web, find out, you know, the most common and the most recognized things based on its algorithms and give you a little roadmap of how best to promote your business. It's not the same as searching for an article about it. It gives you distilled knowledge the same sort of way as, as human beings does. So Bill Gates's view on this is that what it will actually do, it will take care of tasks for people. So filing insurance claims, dealing with paperwork, drafting notes from a doctor's visit, Otter.ai, been using it for many years, it's been running for quite a while, is the most unbelievable transcription program. What it does, just based on sound, takes voices and transcribes it really effortlessly into written text with pauses and links to the recording that it's making. So you can have an absolutely perfect transcription of any meeting happening, happening automatically without any fancy transcription services. Fortunately, certain transcription services are not very happy about it, but that's where one of the major uses. So AI-powered machinery, according to Bill Gates, would also require less human intervention. So your machine would self-diagnose. It would then come up with problems that it has and send off requests for repair, for parts, for changes that it needs to. So AI's potential, as we've seen with OpenAI and ChatGPT, is pretty extensive. Microsoft are adding it to everything. Um, Skype that I'm talking to you on right now has just got an add-on for Bing and Bing Chat GPT based how do we help you type um, prompt, not what do you want to know type front, font, uh, prompt, not font, sorry. So it is coming to all the apps. It's coming part of the new as I spoke about, the new Teams update has Copilot built in. It's not fully functional yet, but that is the use of ChatGPT and AI. So, for example, after your conversation that you've had with whomever you've had it, you ask your your cockpit, your little cockpit AI to say, can I have a quick summary of what we discussed and the three, and, and please make an, a list of the points that we agreed that we'd follow up on. So instead of you sitting and doing that work, you'd get a very nice little summary of everything that you spoke about with a tabulated list of of points from, I don't know, most important to least important based on your conversation. And you could then mail it off to everybody and away you go. Saved you an hour or two of time. So in fact, I'm personally not terribly worried about AI removing jobs unless they were really menial type jobs like collating tab tables or doing very basic work, but very few people, you know, the good old days of people sitting in massive uh, halls tabulating stuff, those are gone. We're pretty much knowledge workers anyway. So if you can do that sort of work, instead of sitting and figuring out and coming up with a response email, all of a sudden the AI would you know, summarize your conversation, highlight the main points, and set it out in email form. You go through it quickly and send it off. 20, 30 minutes in your day saved. That can relate to anything. can also then take that information, send it off, do whatever you need to do with it, put it into an Excel spreadsheet, take an Excel spreadsheet, work something out, and give it back to you. So the, a lot of the mundane stuff that we do day to day will be taken by open by a chatbot or by some sort of AI platform. But this is where it gets a little bit little bit murky. And even Bill Gates uh, mentioned, as much as he sees the positive 
power of technology, he certainly sees that there are downsides. Although him and I, and I, I certainly understand where he's coming from in this, and I, I feel the same in many ways, the good, the potential good that AI can bring to everybody, to everyone's jobs, remove some of the mundane, allow us to be a little bit more creative, allow us to have a little bit more time for doing the things that at this stage no artificial intelligence or no machine could potentially ever do. A little bit more time to build relationships, a little bit more time to understand what it is that your client, customer, friend needs. Those sort of things can be done only between humans and and as much as AI is involved, it can help, but it can't change it. But what um, is coming more and more and where I understand Elon Musk and these guys have um, gone on this whole thing is that they believe that there is a very dark side to AI. And um, I'm making no value judgments on that, but I do believe that there is um, potential for challenges around the whole AI thing. And what uh, Elon Musk and the people have done is, and many experts, many tech leaders have simply said that what they want is that they they want a pause on AI development, but specifically around the, the whole GPT-4 and beyond models. So what they're saying is they believe that production of more powerful models than GPT-4 and some of the most recent updates to its text generation engine should be paused for at least six months. It does not mean a pause on AI development in general, that's what the letter states, but rather a stepping back from the dangerous race to ever larger, unpredictable black box models with emergent capabilities. Fancy sentence. All they're really saying is that they don't believe that the checks, balances, and um, <coughs> consequences <coughs> of having these platforms have been fully worked out. But <clears throat> that generally is a challenge that most technology platforms have had. There was a very, very, very similar response in the day of the, the computer. It would remove jobs. It would change society. So we're seeing a very similar sort of response, <clears throat> but there certainly does seem to be some sense in just stepping back and understanding what it does and what it can do. The biggest challenges that they, they highlighted is that contemporary AI systems are becoming quite human competitive at general tasks, writing a blog, finding information, creating a menu, doing all, even writing some programs. Um, and the danger is that we could you let the machines flood our information channels with propaganda and untruths because it writes so well. And as I said, generally it's not, it's not intelligent. There's no checks and balances like you would in a normal newsroom. You've got sub editors, editors, you've got people who check for factual and non-factual information in any article to make sure this is the, this is the, the rule. This is how it should be. But anyway, it doesn't always work that way. So there's definitely a kickback, and they reckon that they absolutely should be um, looking at a pause until they figure out how to deal with misinformation. And should you automate all jobs away, they still highlight that as a real problem. I don't believe that they'll ever automate away a job that is not rather replaceable in any respect, but we'll discuss about that. And... Um, 
they believe that they shouldn't develop these powerful systems until the they we are sure and confident that the effects would be positive and the risks that they do create and everyone agrees that there are potential risks to it that they should be manageable so very interesting to watch what's going on here the governments tend to always be well behind the curve in terms of these technologies one it's not something they understand it's not a place they operate in and it becomes incredibly difficult for governments and just general regulators to regulate something that is not definable in its current form but Simply said, and uh, as I said, I'm trying to get a couple of experts in this this field to give us some deep insight into what is going on in the whole machine learning, artificial intelligence, and now the human-centric chat learned generation of, of content platforms because there are some fundamental changes. Most companies should be using some form of AI in their platforms to make their business better. I know in cybersecurity, it's been long used to help stop the attacks, but then again, the attackers are using AI to create the attacks. So it's it's a fascinating field. And on that note, I think we have to take a quick break for our sponsors. I'll be back straight after this with another interesting discussion about some brand new gizmos and gadgets I've been playing with. Let's we'll talk straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. We'll talk a little bit more about delivery. I do want to highlight a, a promise that another 60-minute delivery company has made. But um, this game and the sort of convenience of quick delivery is always well, well, well worth it. And I'm moving on to the gadget of the week. Been playing, it's the time of the year again. All the major manufacturers in the television space, we spoke. They announced them at CES in Las Vegas, showed off their latest technologies. Though interestingly, Sony did not um, announce anything at CES, and they've only just announced their new range of TVs for an interesting reason, which I'm not going to go into right here. And the availability of those TVs is going to be a little later. But the Samsungs and many of the other companies out there, the LGs, the Hisense, all these guys have launched their new range, and most of them will be available globally and in South Africa for starting from about now. In the second quarter of the year, you will see them all come out, and they'll all be promising the greatest, latest, and the best TV on the planet, which for the most part they are. They're next gen, a whole year of research and development's gone into them, and a whole whack of these TVs are out there. The big point is that OLED and QD OLED is definitely the types of, 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 of technologies that are dominating. Mini LED and LCD are still, is, mini LED still emerging as quite a challenger and LCD is still around for the most part at the low end of TVs and will be for many years. I won't get into all of that right now, but what are the challenges of all these small or for super thin panel type TVs is that where do you put the speakers? It's been a, a challenge from day one. It's always been a hassle. Most of them have spectacular pics, pictures and really underwhelming sound. You're spending 50, 60,000 rand on a tremendous uh, picture panel or even 20,000 rand on a fantastic picture. And you're getting really tinny, horrible sound. And LG this week announced that in South Africa, their brand new range of sound bars is going to be available. And I've listened to the, the flagship, 
and I've owned and played with many LG soundbars over the of, over the last couple of years. And I've played with others from other companies, including some expensive ones, some cheaper ones um, from many, many different companies. And I will say that overall, my sense is that there are premium soundbars that are extremely expensive, anything from 20 to 50,000 Rand, depending. And then you're looking at almost full-blown home um, sort of home entertainment setups. But for the most part, most people are very keen to have something sleek, slim, and elegant in the lounge. They don't want to have this massive big boxes everywhere. And the new um, the new soundbars from from LG, tuned by Meridian, which is a British company that does really good sound, are pretty competitive in price. They're pretty competitive in quality, and they're slim and easy. And they work with obviously perfectly with LG TVs, but actually they work with any TV. I've tried them with Sony's, I've tried them with Samsung's, and they work really well. So my recommendation generally is that no matter what you spend on a flat panel TV, you're never going to get really great sound. And if you're watching a movie or even sport, it's so much better if you've got a sound bar. And a lot of the sound bars are really good. The new range starts with a, an inexpensive sound bar um, called the SQC1 which you can always find more information about. We'll do a full review of some of them in a little while. But around about 3,000 Rand, it gives you a soundbar, no subwoofer, very cool, and, and certainly improves things all the way up. And I'm going to jump right through all of them to the one that I have listened to is the S95QR, which is their top soundbar. That one is going to sell for around about 23,000 Rand. I'm sure we'll be able to get some specials if you shop around. And it's not inexpensive at all, but it does deliver some amazing value. One, it's got the first three-speaker um, Dolby surround, Dolby Atmos center channel. So it's got multiple speakers in the bar, some fire up, some fire down. There's one problem with that. If you've got a very high ceiling, it doesn't work very well. The normal ceiling works extremely well. It includes a very good quality subwoofer and two wireless rear speakers, which is great. So you don't have to worry about having a little hub. It's all connected into the sound bar. You just place the speakers where you want them, and it works extremely well. What I found, the sound was really good in the voice, very clear, very solid. The bass was clean without being too boomy or rattly. Again, depends on your install. And the rear speakers integrated really well. They've done quite a good job of creating the effect. So when you're seated, seated in the middle or at a good point, you really do get an immersive sound and it's clean without too much brightness. It's, it's got a nice quality in the voice and lots of setup. The app that comes, you can download on your phone to do updates works pretty well and you can fiddle around with all the settings on the soundbar to tune it to exactly where you're, you're at. It also has the ability to, <clears throat> you know, to have multiple settings and you decide what it is that you like. But generally, very, very, very nice quality and works extremely well. They've got two other models in the range, the S, the LG S75Q and the LG 65Q for 8999 and 6999. Loses the rear speakers, has a smaller subwoofer, obviously a smaller soundbar, but generally very, very, very recommended. And every single instance where I've added a soundbar to a TV, it's improved the sound absolutely no end. And it's well, well, well worth the effort. And it's something that I think you should really look at. And as I said, I've tried many from Sonus. So the Sonus quality and its integration into the home hi-fi is brilliant, or you can have multiple things floating around. 
but the price is significantly more expensive, along with many other sound bars that sometimes really don't, I, I think, don't hit the, the sound quality that you need. It's the biggest challenge, I think, for most of these is to have a very clear voice because that is a challenge with 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 uh, movies because it's mostly spoken, lots of stuff going on, and at the same time still have the power and the punch to make these sort of you know action movies feel and sound extremely immersive. So have a look at the new LG range. They're available pretty much where you can get from LG dealers pretty much anywhere in South Africa. Try them out or go and have a little listen. And I think you'll be pretty impressed what it does. Flat flat screen TVs can be good by themselves, but generally there's no room for subwoofers. There's no room for multiple speakers. And you get a compromised sound considering how good the, the picture is. On that note, we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors. And I'm coming back with a, a little, little hint at how to make your life a little easier. And uh, that will be with another app, I'm afraid. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And I've been playing with this for the last couple of weeks. And interestingly enough, it's called Checkers 6060 app. Now, I have no doubt that most of us have used one of these quick delivery apps from one of them. Checkers 6060 was the first uh, they were the, I think, one of the slickest in the market, and they guaranteed 60-minute delivery. But they've just released a very interesting campaign right now um, because they say, you know, Mzanzi, you never know what's going on. There's always havoc. And I've been watching a couple of the adverts. They're really, truly hilarious. They they totally play into the craziness that South Africa, from road road stoppages to potholes, you name it. But simply what they say is that, if they don't deliver or if they're 30 minutes late, they will refund your delivery fee. Or even worse, if uh, due to load shedding or whatever it is, they cannot deliver less or they do deliver less than 80% of the groceries that you ordered, they'll also rebate your delivery fee. And um, that's a first because uh, they're pretty brave to do that with the current craziness and circumstance. You never know. What's going to happen between you and the delivery of your, of your goods. But I think it's a, it's a brave move and it's a smart move and it certainly doesn't differentiate them from all the others. And it works extremely well from the in-store shopper who grabs the goods, gets it on a motorbike and gets it to you within 60 minutes. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, not to rain on uh, Checkers Parade, but in some cities globally, you can get deliveries in 10 minutes guaranteed. But I suppose the urban density in South Africa doesn't lend to that. So 60 minutes is not too much of a compromise and certainly keeps you and the wife and the kids out of the stores, which always lands up costing you more money. So give it a shot. Download the 6060 app. Uh, and um, I've done it. It works really well. And so far, I haven't had to uh, have a problem with that. But all the 60-minute apps work on a very similar sort of platform. And last mile delivery has become a super competitive thing. So checkers looked for an edge and the fact that they prepared to offer you money back guarantee, you'll get your stuff within an hour or at least within an hour and a half, um, no matter what's going on on the roads, no matter what's going on with the traffic, um, is really smart and I think really clever. And also if they somehow can't give you 80% of the goods that you ordered, They'll also give you your money back. So check it out. Download the 6060 app. It's quick, slick, and easy. And uh, give it a shot. The only thing I have found 
from, and this is if anyone from Checkers is listening, is that the scrolling uh, on Android is not particularly good. It's a little jumpy, but I suppose that doesn't affect the shopping experience. And um, it works extremely well. A lot of products available, easy to use, guarantee of getting your money back if you don't get your things in time. Not a lot to to no no real downside in that. So download the app. It works extremely well and give it a shot. And on that note, I'm afraid we have to wrap it up for the day. Um, so much more to talk about down the road. But uh, till next time, same place, same time. This is Stephen Ambrose on Hi FM with Tech Talk.